Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Man, oh man, Captain, did you did you hear about or see this letter that the this grassroots group of Republicans, the uh, Florida Republicans, they're called the Florida Republican Assembly. Did you see this letter they sent to Ron DeSantis calling him home, telling him, hey, uh, come back down to earth, Ron, and try being our governor for a while. So I'll get into that in a minute, but this is, I mean, it's hilarious kind of, but it's becoming humiliating at this point for a lot of these individuals. We saw Mike Pence drop out of the race. I'll get into more of this a little bit later, of course. But, you know, I got to get into this more again, Captain, about this DeSantis campaign. I mean, this is, you know, I, I know I haven't been secretive about my opinions. I mean, I've been calling for these people to drop out and support Trump for a long time. I've been very vocal about my support for Donald Trump for frankly, practical reasons. And uh, it's just this DeSantis campaign, objectively, it is such a failure. And the problem is, it's not just that Ron DeSantis isn't going to win the nomination. It's that really he's damaged his political future. So even if you liked Ron DeSantis, even if you disagree with him trying to take on the king head-to-head like he's been doing, even if you can get over all of that, the reality is it's going to be very hard for DeSantis to have any kind of heavy, important political future in the Republican Party without Donald Trump coming out and praising him. The truth is Donald Trump made Ron DeSantis. I know that a lot of DeSantis supporters out there would deny that. They don't want to believe that to be the reality, but that's the truth. That's the truth. And without, I I just don't see this campaign, the DeSantis campaign, and I don't see DeSantis himself based on what we've observed for the past six, eight, even, you know, months or last year, that he has the humility to come back from this. There, There is a possibility that DeSantis can salvage his political future. But I don't think that he has the humility to do what's required, which is basically to bend the knee, apologize, and come out and support Trump. But at this point, these people are wasting everyone's time. They're wasting money and resources. Now, we're going to see most of these people drop out and follow Pence's lead momentarily once we get into the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire caucuses. When Donald Trump wins those, that's when the money's really going to drop. The only thing keeping these people in the race right now is financing. So as long as people are giving them money, they're going to stay in the race. Mike Pence, his fundraising dried up. But, you know, Mike, Mike Pence's chances of defeating Donald Trump for the nomination were not dissimilar to those chances of DeSantis or Haley or anyone else, Ramaswamy replacing, De- all of them are in the same boat. They weren't going to win any more than Pence, but Pence, people just pulled the plug. They didn't give him any more money. So that's why he dropped out. Otherwise, Pence would still be in this thing pretending like he had a chance. 
And I gotta say, it's very humiliating for these people because they show such a inability and refusal to acknowledge reality. Mike Pence never ever, whether you love Mike Pence, whether you aren't bothered by what he's done in the aftermath of January 6th, objectively, he never had a chance of winning the nomination. Nobody, I mean, even if you took um, former President Trump out of the picture, Mike Pence wasn't going to beat Nikki Haley. He wasn't going to beat a single person in the field, except maybe a couple of the people you'd never even heard of that I, I don't even remember their names right now. Right? They came in and left and you didn't know they were ever running. So anyway, I'm going to get into that in a minute too, because this is a serious conversation we need to have. I think today's the day I want to finally have it with you. You know, and yeah, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good mood here. Um, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get into, I know it's entertaining, but I'm not going to get into some of the Druisms I usually do, I think, today when I talk about these guys. I'm just going to give it to you straight. You know, I have had some fun in the past, but... You know, I, it's really not fun right now because the country's at stake. We see the writing on the wall. Nikki Haley, by the way, is looking to surpass Ron DeSantis now. I mean, it's just, this is a joke. It's a joke on the Republican Party right now that these people are pretending. It's like, I feel like a father figure captain, even though these people are all older than me. And you've got a kid and it's time to say, come back home. All right. You've had your fun. You tried to pursue this avenue. It's not bearing fruit. Now it's time to come back to reality. And that's our job. And it's like we've got these immature, naive kids running around that are the other candidates in the GOP field, and they're just playing pretend still. And it's like, hey, guys, it's time to grow up. It's time to be serious. It's time to acknowledge what the stakes are and what's, what 2024 is really about. You had fun out there. You wasted a lot of people's money. You got some people's hopes up by, you know, lying to them. I don't know. I mean, or, you know, emotionally appealing to them to think that, you know, you had a chance. You never had a chance. Now it's time to be realistic again. All right. It's time to come together and do the right thing. Anyway, I'll read, I'll read that in a minute. First, I wanted to talk about something else. Now, this was kind of fun to me, Captain. So Gavin Newsom, of course, he's in been in China with Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, of course, is Xi Jinping. You know, they banned Winnie the Pooh over there because... Xi didn't like being compared to Winnie the Pooh. But there's a startling, startling similarity. It's like a doppelganger. He looks like Winnie the Pooh. He's got the gut and everything. But Gavin Newsom's been in China. Now, this ties into the complaints by these Republicans about DeSantis saying, hey, come back and govern. We, we, we voted you to be governor, not run for president. You can't do both. As a matter of fact, Captain, I was thinking about this. This ties in. Man, I knew there was a reason I, I finally made it back to church yesterday. Um, now, I'd been sick and stuff, so that's why I didn't go, But and I was out of town. But anyway, none of you even know. Um, you know, Jesus, whether you're Christian or not, this ties in. You know, he, he explained, of course, that you cannot... Um, you cannot serve two masters, right? You can't serve money, for example, and God. My point isn't that you can't have... It's, my point isn't that if you have money, you're not a Christian or can't be faithful. But this isn't a sermon. But my point is you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve 
God and money. You can't have two priorities like that. You got to put one first. And the same is true for these governors. You cannot be the governor of a state and also be vying for president of the United States. You cannot do both of those jobs. It doesn't work. And, you know, I'd be a little bit more forgiving if Donald Trump wasn't leading the field by, I, I don't even know how many percentage points, Captain, but, you know, I mean, it's not even close. Double digits, we can say that. And so amidst this, it makes no sense that you would abandon your state and run for president when it was unrealistic because you weren't going to get the nomination anyway. But I got to tell you, governor seems to be a really good gig if you're the governor of California or Florida. I mean, Gavin Newsom here, I mean, he's governor of California. Why is he out in China, Captain? What What is the excuse that he needs to be in China? By the way, having friendly conversations and looking like he's in love with a dictator. How are we in a position in this country where a U.S. governor of a state can sit there in public and make it obvious how enamored this individual is with a genocidal dictator, which is Xi Jinping. I mean, I understand, you know, the stuff in the Middle East is serious. We'll talk about it. That as a matter of fact, China still remains our greatest threat. China is the greatest enemy to the United States of America because they have the power, they have the military capability. So, you know, nobody truly poses a immediate threat to the United States of America more so than China. But you'd never know that the way that Joe Biden and Democrats and Gavin Newsom go over there and hang out with the leader, the dictator of our greatest enemy who has openly said they intend to go to war with the United States of America and they're palling around. I mean, is this not treason, by the way? I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like FDR going over and having cocktails with Adolf Hitler in the middle of World War II. I mean, this is, is, is effectively the same situation. But of course, we've also learned that the Democrats have a deep love and association and fondness for Hamas and anti-Semites. I mean, I, I tell you what, I, the, the, the difference in the Republican and Democrat Party. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I, the Republican Party has serious issues. We have problems. We have corrupt people in that party. But if you don't understand that the Democrat Party is actually an evil party and the Republican Party, here's the, here's the thing. The Democrat Party is an evil anti-American party through and through. There are no exceptions. Now, the Republican Party has bad apples in it, but the party as a whole isn't defined by evil. The Democrat Party all celebrates this crap, the, the, the transgenderism. You know, they want to confiscate your guns. They oppose free speech. You know, they support this corruption in Ukraine. It's always America last for them, and their policies reflect an antipathy to our founding, an antipathy to the Constitution, a hatred for you and me. And the Republican Party does not. There's bad people in the Republican Party. 
but the party itself isn't necessarily bad, right? We can, there's still hope that we can save it. Is this clear, Captain? I mean, I think if we, if anyone's been paying attention for the last two, three years, this is clear. But there was a video and I, I didn't, you know, because most people listen, not everyone watches. So I didn't bring it up. There's not really any talking. But Gavin Newsom was in, I think it was in Shanghai, but he was in China and he was playing basketball with a group of Chinese kids. Now they're little, they look like they're all, you know, 10 and under. And I didn't notice any transgenders on the field of 10 year olds though. I think they were all men actually, Chinese men. I guess they're not doing that in China yet. But anyway, I saw these, you see Gavin Newsom and he's trying to spin the ball on a finger and he's failing. He's trying to impress them. So that's the first thing that's hilarious. And then he takes this match against 10-year-olds so seriously that he plows into one of these kids and falls on the ground on top of the kid. And then he quickly tries to save face and he rolls around on the ground, hugging this Chinese kid and slapping him on the buttocks. What's the difference? You know, Gavin Newsom, of course, here, he's trying to make a play to, you know, become presidential. He's trying to make a play to swoop in there if the moment presents itself to replace Joe Biden in the 2024 election. That's what this is really all about. Now, the party apparatus has not decided to get rid of Joe Biden yet. You know, I would counter what some people have been telling you. I don't think they're honest. I think it just makes a good soundbite. I think it's good for, for clicks and listens. But it's not in the best interest of the Democrat Party right now to replace Joe Biden. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, it's a big ordeal to swap out candidates. I mean, we're about, we're less than, you know, we're basically a year out from the election. So the best thing that the Democrats can do is continue to lie about Joe Biden, continue to prop him up, pretend that he's mentally capable and get him across the finish line and then figure it out once he's in there what they need to do. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just, this is a quagmire they've created for themselves. It's of their own doing. But, you know, watching this clip of a Joe Biden, you're rolling around on the ground, slapping, smacking some little boy on the buttocks made me think, what's the difference in Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom? They're the same. They both love genocidal dictators like Xi Jinping. They cozy up to America's enemies. And, uh, you know, they like to slap little boys on the butt. But anyway, this governor stuff, it's just, you know, like the president, that's supposed to be a very difficult job. But if you watch Biden do the job, it's the easiest job in the world because he effectively, president is a retirement job. He just gets to go on vacation paid by the taxpayer and doesn't have to worry about the country because someone else is running it behind the scenes. And apparently that's the same thing for these governorships. They're easy jobs, fake jobs. You can be the governor and spend all your time running for president in the case of Newsom and in the case of DeSantis as well. All right, now before I get into uh, some more of these things, first actually, Captain, you know what I'll do? Let's, what are these? Cue up cut one. This caught my attention for a particular reason. I don't know if I can disclose it yet. I'll make up my mind uh, in a moment if I can talk about this or if it's, if it's in my best interest to do so. But it's kind of a, it's a big, it'll be a big deal for me if it happens. And it looks like it's going to happen. But anyway, I'm not trying to be cryptic and annoying. You know, I just... Literally, I do this show, some of it's off the cuff, and this is one of those moments where I'm thinking through to myself, can I, can I do this or is this going to be bad? So I'll reveal in a minute. Dr. Carson, 
Dr. Ben Carson. What do you think of him for a possible VP pick, Captain? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a big juxtaposition. I mean, Dr. Carson here, I mean, this is a guy who's really buttoned up, genius, wonderful human being, obviously ran for president in the past before, but very different in comparison to Donald Trump. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but uh, Dr. Carson has a little bit, you know, lower energy overall than, than uh, obviously Donald Trump does. And you'll hear it here, but he's, he's brilliant. And I mean, he is a statesman. I, you know, Dr. Carson's one of those people. You know, had he run, you know, in a, in, in a time, in a situation in which we didn't have the media that we have, which requires that politicians be camera ready and uh, entertainers, he is a statesman. I mean, I, mean we, I, I have no way of knowing this. I don't think that George Washington was probably particularly charismatic in the sense that we would expect today from our politicians. Obviously, he was the leader of our nation, our first president. He was, you know, led the Continental Army to success against Great Britain to win our independence. But, you know, that, you know, that wasn't a prerequisite. People looked at different features, and I think better features for candidates in the past. You know, it was based on more their uh, mentality. It was based on what they said. It was a different kind of stature. And now you've got dumb people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which, what are her qualifications to be a politician? She was a bartender? Yeah, she's relatively attractive. I mean, she's the kind of person that puts on a lot of makeup. So if I woke up next to her, I'd probably be shocked and screaming. I, you wouldn't know what was next to you is my point. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's okay, whatever. But, um, but you know, that's the thing. You know, they put her on the cover of Vanity Fair. Why is that relevant? Why is that important to voters? That someone's attractive or so? I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. And so back to Dr. Ben Carson. I mean, this is somebody who should should be, and he is by people on our side, but he should be celebrated and esteemed all across America for what this man has accomplished, both as a neurosurgeon and as a political figure in this country, the great good he's done for so many. I've run into people, Captain, and they lived on the East Coast. And I, let, me, let me put it this way. I, I, I ran into a, a group here in the Napa Valley it might have been two years ago, Captain. And they lived on the East Coast, and they had a friend whose son or daughter, I believe it was a daughter, had a very serious life-threatening issue with their heart, or with their mind, sorry, with their brain. And Dr. Carson saved that child's life for free. So I'm just saying, you know, I live out here in Napa Valley in California and Dr. Ben Carson, the good he's done and the amount of good he's done and the number of lives he's touched is so significant that living out here, I ran into someone who had a connection to someone who had been touched by Dr. Carson's generosity, brilliance, and kindness.
Incredible. In a nation of 330 million people. All right, so go ahead and queue up. Go ahead and play this cut, Captain. So Dr. Ben Carson has officially endorsed Donald Trump. And again, I would say it is time for DeSantis, for Haley, for anybody else who's in this race, Ramaswamy, everyone to pool their resources, to drop out, get serious, and support Donald Trump. Go ahead and play this cut, Captain. You know, Benjamin Franklin was asked in 1787 after they finished the Constitutional Convention, sir, what do we have here, a monarchy or a republic? He said, a republic if you can keep it. The way we can keep it is we can put Donald J. Trump back in office. And as I stand here today, I want to offer my most confident and full endorsement of Donald J. Trump. Um, so there you have Dr. Ben Carson. He doesn't mince his words. He is fully supporting Donald Trump. And Captain, I, I hope that this endorsement actually means something to some of the people on the fence out there. Now, look, you know, Dr. Carson isn't some buddy of mine. I don't hang out with Dr. Carson. I did publicity for his book. All right. So I do have a connection to the good doctor. And I can just tell you that Dr. Carson isn't a man who would come out and endorse Trump if he didn't genuinely believe that it was the best thing for the country. Now, as someone who understands politics, who works in it behind the scenes, who knows how grimy of a world it is, I'll be the first to tell you that so much of this world is fake. It's superficial. It's about doing things because you want something in return and favors and so on and so forth. But Dr. Carson is a man whose principle cannot be questioned. It's, it's un, his character is unassailable. And Dr. Carson here is somebody who's coming out and he's saying, look, if you want to keep this republic, the way we can keep it is to reelect Donald Trump. And on that note, I want to make my big announcement, which I made on my Substack recently, which is that the book that I have occasionally spoken of that I, when I was on vacation, played a couple of, uh, you know, audio recordings from the audio book of the chapters from the book. Well, that book, America's Last Stand, Will You Vote? Will, will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024? The book is now available for purchase. All right. So it's been published. It's out there. Captain, thank you. He's got it up on the screen. And... I just want to tell you right now, and I'm holding it up too, so you can buy it on Amazon.com, America's Last Stand, Drew Thomas Allen, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024? Now, the reason I played the Dr. Carson clip before this introduction of, of my book is because this book that I wrote has a very, very specific purpose. 
Now, there is not another book out there, and there will not be another book published by anyone else that has the singular focus as mine, which is to convince our countrymen to support Donald Trump over Joe Biden or any other Democrat in the 2024 election. In fact, it's almost as if, and this is not what happened, but it's almost as if Dr. Ben Carson just pitched my book. Because that's my whole premise. We have a chance still to save a republic. It's not going to be over after one election. But the stakes are so high, if we do not win in 2024, I don't know how to say this except to just be honest, a peaceful resolution to our problems is going to be very difficult to come by. That's just the reality. Things are so bad, and the Democrats are moving as fast as they can to consolidate their power and weaponize the government, the FBI. They've already done much of this, the CIA, against American citizens. It will soon be illegal and unlawful and dangerous to do this podcast, to speak our minds. It will be illegal in this country. That's what's coming down the way. And so that's why the book is called America's Last Stand. 2024 is that important. We've had 1776 in our history, which of course was the American Revolution. We had 1861, that period, which was the Civil War. And 2024 is as serious of an inflection point in our nation's history as those two previous battles. Now, the difference and the fortuitous thing for us is, and look, forget, don't forget it, but in terms of what we're talking about now, I get the, you know, I, they're going to steal it. They're You know, forget that for a moment, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. We, yeah, we got to deal with election fraud. They did steal 2020. I'll say that every single day. We know what they did. And that's why they don't want us to talk about it. They just want to get away with it. But we have a peaceful means of saving the country. And that is still our, you know, as the Democrats would say, our democracy. Well, it's a constitutional republic, but we have elections. And the danger is we, the patriotic American citizens, want to exercise our peaceful right to vote to save the country. And what are the Democrats doing? They're trying to take that chance, that opportunity, that avenue away from us by what? Removing Trump from the ballot, preventing us from voting for him. That's why this is so scary and dangerous. Because if you take away that ability, right? I mean, that is the Constitutional Republic. That is our foundation, is free and fair elections. They've already attacked that in the past. They directly assaulted it in 2020. And now 2024, it's not, I mean, they're not even hiding. It's not, you know, forget the, the, the fake ballots and the mail-in ballots and all sorts of, they just want to prevent you from even having the chance to vote for the guy you want. It's unprecedented in American history. And so this book is the political Bible of our time. And I don't mean this arrogantly, okay? I'm not an arrogant person. I joke on here sometimes, but, you know, if you know me, if you really know me, you know that I'm not that way. But... I would say, you know, I, di I didn't, I'm a different person, it's a different era, but I, I would relate this, at least in terms of my purpose, not sales or anything like that or impact yet, but when Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, 
His reason for writing that pamphlet was specific. It was to convince the colonists that it was in their best interest to part ways with Great Britain and to support the American Revolution. That was the reason he wrote it. And it was enormously influential. Hindsight's 2020. It, it was unbelievably effective and important in this country's history for turning the tide, turning people's minds in favor of revolution. And with that in mind, and being somebody who recognizes history and loves history and takes pride in, you know, my, my, my confidence that you and I recognize that we are living through American history right now and that we are the future and that what we do in 2024 is going to be looked back on in the same way that we look back on the American Revolution and we look back on the Civil War and what Americans have done throughout history. Our generation is now tasked with saving the country, stepping up, unifying, and doing what's necessary to preserve this great country. And this book is something we can rally around, and it's something that gives us the ammunition mentally to talk about with one another and to give your neighbors and to convince independents and people like that what's at stake. This book gets into the history of the Democrat Party. It is a scathing rebuke of the Biden administration. It chronicles the historic failures of this administration amidst all the propaganda out there. It reminds people and puts it front and, fin and center in front of their minds about what this administration has done, a record of what this administration has done. Because we have short memories, we're inundated with propaganda, and people forget what's happened in the last three years. So, you know, I, I say this with all sincerity. Opinion, this is the most important book in America to read before 2024. All right. And the reason I brought up Dr. Carson, you know, again is, um, well, <clears throat> Captain, I'm hoping to get an endorsement of my book from Dr. Carson. So I've been in touch with people. People are busy. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. It looks like that's going to happen, though. So I mean, I mean, for me, this, the significance of the juxtaposition of Dr. Carson coming out and endorsing the Trump administration, there's a natural through line now to also supporting the book and what we're trying to do here because we all have the same goal. Now I want to get in this for a minute again about DeSantis. And this humiliating GOP field that just will not accept reality. I, I've never seen such selfishness at a time in which selflessness is needed, Captain. So the Florida Republicans have demanded that Ron DeSantis, <laughs> I'm sorry, this cracks me up, end his 2024 run to focus on his job. Governor Ron DeSantis has been urged by a group of, I can't, I can't keep it together. I, I, I don't, you know, some things they just, they just crack you up and this is doing it to me because it's so true. And these people are saying it, what everyone's thinking. So the Florida Republican Assembly, a grassroots political organization, 
issued a declaration calling for DeSantis to return to the role he was reelected to do in November 2022 and to complete his four-year term as Florida governor. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's just, it's so honest what they're saying. I mean, it's, it's one thing if they were full of crap, but they're saying what, what everyone knows to be true. Here we go. So the declaration confirmed by the group on social media suggested that DeSantis's presidential campaign has, quote, caused a distraction and that the interests of Florida's residents have been, quote, placed secondary to his White House bid. The group also said that DeSantis's 2024 campaign <laughs> is not generating any positive poll results nor has it gained any significant momentum since it officially launched. This is the thing about the DeSantis campaign. I mean, look, my tune would be completely different if DeSantis were actually polling in a way that displayed or represented that there was some possibility that he could be the nominate, nominee. But he, he's not. As a matter of fact... Here's, here's what's going on in Iowa, right? I mean, that's, that's what everyone's gearing up for. That's going to be the, you know, kick off the caucuses for the Republican Party. So it's going to be huge who wins Iowa. It's going to be Trump. I'll tell you that now. But here, support for Nikki Haley has swelled in Iowa. The former UN ambassador has pulled even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in what has become a heated battle for second place in the first in the nation caucus state. Donald Trump, here's the number, Captain, I, was, I couldn't remember earlier. Donald Trump is ahead by 27 percentage points. This is a lead that has expanded since the even more recent attacks by the left in terms of the legal battles and so on and so forth. A new Des Moines Register NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll shows 43% of likely Republican caucus goers choose Trump. That's up from 42% in an August Iowa poll. So Trump is still increasing his attraction and his lead. DeSantis and Haley are now tied for second place with 16%. And that's a drop of three percentage points for DeSantis. So DeSantis is polling in the wrong direction. Not only did he not ever have a chance, but that chance is even, even getting worse, if you can imagine that. Nikki Haley, in terms of the majority of the GOP voter base, the MAGA voter base, she says all the wrong things. We want to stop putting America last and endlessly funding this proxy war in Ukraine. And she wants to support it in perpetuity, no questions asked. Nikki Haley has never imagined a war that she didn't like. And I just want to go off on a tangent here for just a moment, Captain, because there's something that's been bothering me, literally keeping me up at night. 
War is inevitable in the world that we live in. Always has been. And it's, it's why it's important to maintain a strong military, especially when you have a target on your back like the United States of America or Israel, for example. So I'm not a naive person. I understand human nature. I acknowledge the ugly reality that death, war, it's part of the human experience, unfortunately. And sometimes it's necessary. But I've never seen so many people champion truly unnecessary violence and wars in my life. Um, the flippant nature with which somebody like Nikki Haley, warmongering rhinos and Democrats, just talk about war like it's a video game. I'm saying, you know... War is a serious thing. Uh, our children, the, the people that go and die for this country, not to mention the other countries. Yeah, Captain's got it right. He says it's not their kids or money. Yeah. And that's, that's the point, you know, it's, it's our money and it's our children who are being sacrificed. And... There's no thought about that anymore. No consideration. Yeah, let's go to war. I mean, you know, you should do everything in your power when possible to resolve these types of conflicts, conflicts diplomatically. That's the moral thing to do. It's to try to avoid bloodshed if you can. Now, World War II, obviously, that could not be avoided. And especially with our involvement being provoked like we were, the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. I want, to, I want to point something else out to you. You know, all these pro-Hamas, you, you notice all these people protesting against, you know, the conflict in Israel and the Middle East right now. They don't call, call themselves pro-peace. They're all pro-Palestinian. You, you notice that? Now, I want to pose a hypothetical for you. Now, Take note again, the anti-Semitic squad who has made it very clear that they hate Jews and want them to die, um, and many Democrats, they, they, they are calling for an immediate ceasefire, as they've been calling for since the very beginning. Now, they're attacking Israel because Israel is... You understand that Hamas still has the hostages, right? They haven't given them back. And you notice the squad members don't demand that Hamas return the hostages. They just want Israel to put their guns down. Now again, imagine if the shoe were on the other foot. Let's imagine for just a moment that Israel sent IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, into Gaza before all this happened. Imagine that Israel sent its IDF into Gaza to slaughter 1,400 innocent Palestinians at a music festival. And then Israel kidnapped 200 Palestinians and took them hostage. 
Do you think that Rashida Tlaib and the brother, uh, you know, the one who had sex with her brother, uh, uh, what's her name? Elam. Who? Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, is it Ilham Omar? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ilham. Ilham Omar. Yeah, that's her. The one who uh, married her brother from Somalia. Well, anyway, so just all these people, do you think that they would demand a ceasefire on the from Hamas or the Palestinians if Israel had done what Hamas did to... You understand? Of course they wouldn't. So, you know, I'm sorry that there are casualties in war. I'm sorry that it's other and these things happen. But uh, you cannot compare what Israel's doing, responding like they are, uh, to what Hamas did to them. I mean, if, if you use that logic in terms of calling for this ceasefire, we should have never gotten involved in World War II. Oh, yeah, let's just, let's just let the war happen. I mean, kumbaya. Yes, yes, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor provoked us but you know let's let's ask the japanese for a ceasefire sorry that's not how this now anyway so back to this nikki nikki haley rises with independence and suburbanites now i'm going to offend people it's not really my intention but sometimes the truth is offensive independence and quote suburbanites as a block of voters Captain, these are, I don't know how to say this. These are some of the most puzzling, ignorant voters in America. Honestly, I can't say. These are the people that are like, I don't like Biden, but, you know, I really don't like that MAGA doesn't support transgender rights for 13-year-olds. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. You know, I'm very progressive. You know, these are the independents and suburbanites. They have the, a, a, a complete inability to comprehend and put things in perspective. Right. So, they, 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 you know, over this one, you know, abortion. Oh, my gosh. A six week abortion. That is a woman's right to choose. I am voting for Biden. I am voting for Biden, who is destroying the country, who's going to war with everyone, who's starting World War Three. We won't have a country, but, you know, at least he supports abortion because I love abortion, even though I've got my suburban home with my four kids, none of whom, none of whom were aborted. But, you know, I support those other women's rights out there to abort on demand. Am I being too harsh, Captain? So here's, yeah, it's, 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 you're right. It's emotional. It's voting emotionally. And, and you know, that's important. I, I, I do point that out in the book as well. I say, you know, I don't think I can find this in the right moment. I'm trying to, I'm actually looking through the book right now. Um, you know, let me see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry about this. So, I, I call for us, you know, to respond with, with, you know, without emotion in many ways. I'm trying to find the actual thing. I don't want to start reading and then not have it. But I mean, let's just see if I get into it. You know, I, I quote Abraham Lincoln, uh, who urged people to just preach everywhere they could the Constitution and maintaining the rule of law. And he talked about the Temple of Liberty. I say, I say, we must not let our Temple of Liberty fall while our enemy recruits an army of our brothers and sisters 
to join their jihad to reduce America to rubble by appealing to our worst and wildest passions. We must rise and plant our feet firmly in their and preach the truth with cold, calculated reason. Okay, I did, I did find it. I did pretty good there. You know, I only spent like a year working on this book. But anyway, so cold, calculated reason. Everybody wants to be emotional right now. We have to plant our feet and preach cold, calculated reason. That's what I'm talking about here. So if you if you recall, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know, I, I talked about this in the past with, with one of the issues with Ron DeSantis early on is that his biggest donor threatened to close his, he actually did, he, he closed his checkbook pending Ron DeSantis's um, demonstration that he was going to go after the quote-unquote independent voter. So that's something the DeSantis funders, they were rhinos, and they wanted him to go after independents. And now he's done a miserable job of that. I, I, this is the other thing about DeSantis I don't understand. I mean, this is the worst run campaign I've ever seen. Who is DeSantis appealing to? I mean, I, I get some of you may, maybe still love him and support him and you, you hate me right now. It, but my point is, you know, obviously 16% of people supporting DeSantis isn't enough to make him president. So he needs to expand. So he's alienated himself by attacking MAGA, which is the biggest base in the Republican Party right now. And if you listen to him, the things I actually like that he says, they're very conservative in nature. That's not appealing to independence. So my point is, who is he going after? He attacks MAGA and then expects MAGA to support him because he says things that are supposed to be appealing to us. So Haley is getting the support of independence now. So think about this. So Trump leads DeSantis, by the way, with independence, 33% to 12%. And Haley has overtaken the Florida governor with independence. 22% list her as their first choice, up from 10% in August. And by the way, that, that's not encouraging to MAGA, to America First Republicans, conservatives out there. Nikki Haley, she's finding success by what? Attracting the people in this country who are kind of morons, who are just divorced from reality, their only issue is abortion or trans rights for 10-year-olds. Man. Anyway. Um, all right, running out of time here. But I want to talk about Speaker Mike Johnson. What? 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 I haven't talked about him since, look, I was shocked. I did not, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw, my, no one had heard of Mike Johnson for the most part. And they, you know, they said, we will not support, we will not support, um, uh, 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 Jim Jordan, right? Never going to happen. But then suddenly they get Mike Johnson. And, we should all be cautiously optimistic about Speaker Johnson. That, that's my position. I think he's an improvement from McCarthy. You know, people that were upset about the McCarthy, look, McCarthy broke promises. Nobody should have been blindsided, really, with the fact that he got ousted. 
Now, I, I understand the concern about strategy and, you know, if we're going to get rid of him, let's not help the Democrats. We ended up okay, I think, right now. Now, there are some things that are concerning. I, I don't actually, I got to look into this, Captain, but uh, much of the attacks against Johnson have to do with the fact that he gave an interview and he, it, it seems he has a mixed race family. I don't know if he's, you know, has an interracial marriage or if he adopted kids. But apparently he's got, you know, at least a white kid and a black kid. I think two sons, based on this interview. But he talked about the fact that his black son was going to have a harder time no matter what in this country finding success than the white son. And people said immediately, well, he's into critical race theory or he's into this stuff. Not necessarily. I mean, I would ask him some, I mean, it's, it's a little troubling that, you know, on its face, such a statement, but I could make an argument that it is harder to be black in this country, but, it, but it's not because of the reasons the Democrats would have you believe. It's because of the Democrat party that black people have a more difficult time in this country. I think that's true. Because if you're black, unless you somehow grow up on an island without any news media or public school teachers around you, you're going to be taught that you're a victim as a black person. So you have to overcome the race narrative that's fed to you. So it's true. And if you don't have the benefit of having, you know, a mother and father as a black child in this country that are still together, that aren't divorced or you haven't been abandoned, right? A, a, you know, a, a, a two, um, you know, parent household. If you don't have that benefit and have parents who are really determined to see you succeed and themselves succeed, who aren't just addicted to welfare and so on and so forth. If you get put in one of these public schools in like Baltimore, Maryland, for example, or many other places around the country, you are at a disadvantage as a black person because you're, you're going you're gonna to graduate illiterate. So I, I give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit on that. Now, look, I've got, an, I've got three chapters or four chapters in my book devoted to this race narrative. I've got a whole chapter on critical race theory and how I condemn it. So don't think for a second that, oh, Drew support. No, I don't. But, I, you know... I'm intrigued right now about something that Speaker Johnson has done in his first move here. And I don't know if it's intentional or if it's kind of accidental. But it's strategic to me. Now, I'm talking about this. One of the other criticisms about Speaker Johnson, which I had to, was he seemed to support funding for Ukraine. He, he did support funding for Ukraine. Now, the Democrats, as support for Ukraine has kind of dissipated, if you will, well, the Middle East conflict is happening at just the right moment for them to try and tie the two conflicts together and pretend that it's the same, that Hamas and Russia are the same, that they're over the same thing, and they're not at all. And so the Democrats saw an opportunity to tie Israel and Russia-Ukraine together and demand one bill funding both wars. It's so sick how they do this. And so what Johnson has, has pledged, 
is that the House is going to move on a standalone funding bill for aid to Israel this week. Now, a couple things. I'm not super hot on just writing a check to Israel. Um, and unless you're a fool, unless you're a stupid person, you'll understand that my position, not wanting to just write a blank check to Israel, is not tantamount to supporting Hamas. You know, I, I, I said, you know, an episode or two ago, I don't understand this immediate demand. We got to write a check to Israel. What do they need? Do they need our funding right now? I mean, aren't they a sovereign nation? We can support them without funding the war. Should not Israel have to pay for their own? What, Captain, what, what, what countries are giving us money to deal with our problems? Any? Who, 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 which countries are writing the U.S. checks saying, hey, we want to help you with your, your, uh, your debt. We want to help you with uh, securing the border. We want to help. Anybody doing that for us? No. So why should we, we see, this is that we need to get away from this, this feeling, this response, this attitude, this behavior, where anytime anything happens that we might support on an emotional level or even intellectual level, that we're the ones who are like, hey, we're going to pay for it. We could do far more to help Israel right now if we would unleash our own oil and gas production and squash Qatar, if we would squash Saudi Arabia, if we would squash Iran, that would go much further just in terms of using diplomacy to press other, you know, Middle Eastern countries to alienate Iran, to alienate the, you know, Palestinians and Hamas. But we're not doing that. We just want to send a bunch of money over there because, you know, war is good business. So anyway, so Johnson, in my opinion, is doing something very promising to me in terms of his speakership. And that is saying, I'm not going to do what Joe Biden and Democrats are demanding, which is requesting that aid for both countries be approved by Congress in one single package. He's saying, you know, aid to Ukraine is more controversial. It's jeopardizing support for Israel. And the reason I say this even if I'm not hot on giving money to, you know, just a blank check to Israel right now, that's outweighed by the strategic advantage and benefit I see in this. And that is this. The Democrats have a problem in their party right now because they're divided. Because the anti-Semites in the Democrat party have made themselves known. And it's especially with the younger voters in the Democrat party. Now, this is an issue for them because support is potentially... Um, moving away from the Democrat Party right now over the Israel issue. You've got the radicals in the Democrat Party that are anti-Israel. They're pro-Hamas. They don't believe Israel should exist. They believe that Israel is occupying Palestine, which was never a place. All right, that's what they believe. But then you've got this other wing, which traditionally at least feigns support for Israel. And so they're splintered over this. And so if we are smart, we will pick away at this wound, if you will, this, this weakness in the Democrat Party. Because you've got moderate Democrats, if such a thing exists, 
that are applauding Biden's backing of Israel. But you've got all these, look at all these protests everywhere, these college campuses and so on and so forth, where they're calling for, you know, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're pro-Palestine, calling for a ceasefire. And so you have Speaker Johnson forcing Democrats now in the House to choose a side. Right? So now, you're, okay, what are the Democrats going to do now? Are the Democrats in the House going to say, well, I, you, you understand the problem we're creating for the Democrat Party right now? This is the type of maneuvering that Democrats do all the time to us. Now, this is the type of maneuvering that is, is, is smart and we should exploit right now. Okay. Are you guys really so crazy that you're not going to support Israel? And then you run with that story and you exploit it and you say, look at them. They're anti-Israel. They do not want, they, they want to help Ukraine only, but they don't want to help Israel. Democrats aren't friends to Israel. That's, that's what's happening right now. So, you know, we'll follow this story and see what's going on. Uh, well, I, I said, you know what? Cue, cue up cut three first, Captain. I've got a couple minutes left here. If you are a Christian, I do not understand how you justify your support for the Democrat Party. Not just on the issues. But the Democrats have an absolute antipathy, a hatred, if you will, towards Christianity, towards religion. They ridicule and mock people of faith in this country. Now, you should be offended by that if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith. George Washington talked about God. Our founding fathers believed in God. This nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And the separation of church and state doesn't actually exist as a phrase anywhere. That's not true. And there's nothing wrong with being a Christian, with praying. And this was never an issue in our history. Our leaders constantly talked about God, called upon God, prayed. And so the speaker, of course, <clears throat> Mike Johnson... He started his speakership by praying. And he is a man of deep faith, apparently. And I want you to hear what Jin Psaki has to say about him being a man of faith in America. Go ahead and play the cut three, Captain. Go. The stretch there. Then there's the obvious question of how Johnson's convictions square with his fierce loyalty to Donald Trump a guy who has been married multiple times, paid hush money to a porn star, and joked about grabbing women. I would love to know what passage in the Bible told Johnson to become one of the most important architects behind Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. Which passage? Was it God whispering in his ear to ignore the Constitution and disenfranchise millions of voters? It's hard not to think that Mike Johnson's idea of what America should be is drastically out of line with what America actually is. He clearly envisions a country that's less democratic and less tolerant. And that may explain why he seems more comfortable with the America of the 18th century than the America of today. Truth has been replaced as the greatest virtue in society by tolerance. Well, we're the in inherently intolerant ones who say, wait a minute, life is sacred because we're, we're endowed by our creator. We're certain inalienable rights. We have to stand up for those. Oh, you bigot. Can't you be a little more open-minded? Come on. That's so like 18th century, you know. Well, they told us that if we didn't maintain those 18th century values, 
that the republic would not stand. And so this is the condition we find ourselves in today. Just holding on to those 18th century values there. The problem with... Makes you sick. But you hear how she talks about Christians in this country and people of faith? How derisive she is? Was it God whispering in his ear? I mean, it's just... These people are lost. They're really lost. And... 18th century values. I mean, I mean, you know, they think they're onto something here. Oh, 18th and this is the big lie of the left too. The progressives. They think that where they stand today is somehow better than the values of the past. Now, the only thing the Democrats can focus on is slavery, which existed in every country in the world. And that, of course, is not the value that Mike Johnson is talking about. And I think those 18th century values have served us pretty well, don't you, Captain? Given the fact that we are the greatest, freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world, this is the only country you'll ever find if you've traveled that has such diversity. And, um, and that's, that's the point, you know. We actually do need to return to our 18th century values, to the Constitution, because that was enlightened. What we have today is the Dark Ages. And I'm after my book, about the Dark Age, our American Dark Age, which we're experiencing right now because of the Democrat Party, which pretends that the values they espouse in the 21st century are progressive when really the values that they are espousing come from the Dark Age, come from pre-enlightenment in terms of political philosophy and everything else. They support communism. So... Anyway, you know, one update before we, and we'll end on this. The dirty Democrats are up to their old tricks again. I talked about this Colorado case last episode. Colorado is moving forward with a lawsuit. They're trying to disqualify Trump from being put on the ballot in Colorado for the presidential election because they're saying he's an insurrectionist. Now, he's already been acquitted of this, remember, right? The, Donald Trump has been found innocent of inciting an insurrection. This is a fact. And yet you still have Democrats. It's like double, triple, quadruple jeopardy, right? He's acquitted, but we're going to prove it. And so how do they do this? By continuing to push the false narrative on J6. So during their opening remarks, the far left attorneys played two clips of President Trump's speech at the Ellipse on January 6, 2021. And they, of course, what did they do? Remember the famous part of the speech where Donald Trump said, make your voices peacefully and patriotically heard. He urged peace. Well, guess what? They eliminated those particular words from what they played. So all of this narrative is a lie. It's always been a lie. Determined to sell it in order to destroy the country. All right. This is Drew Allen, your millennial minister of truth. God bless you all, and until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.